0: Well, it is good to have you with us, whether you're on campus or online with us or watching us later this week on demand. We're in the closing weeks of a series that uh, we entitled, Come Out Swinging. It's our attempt to, to look at the at the Scriptures from a standpoint of what happens as we're moving out of the pandemic. Now, I will tell you, we planned this before any of us knew anything about a Delta variant, all right? Uh, And so, we just want you to know that we still believe, regardless of, as one of my elders said, Pastor, if it goes from Alpha to Omega, we're just at Delta. This could last a long time, all right? But here's what we want you to know. The kingdom of God is going to last longer than any, any virus anywhere. And so we're here to help all of us live as the people of God and come out swinging, not, not to hurt people, but to come out of this time frame in a, in a concentrated effort to be the people of God. And so this morning, I want us to consider a story. It's a story from the book of Acts that has always fascinated me. But before I read it to you, I, I need to ask you a question. And, and that is this. Um, have you ever like read about something, um, heard about something, and then you got to live it. You got to actually see it happen. See, for me, I, I loved to read when I was a kid. I, I've told some of you before, my, my father was a, a pastor, and he changed churches. I went to eight different schools before I got out of high school. And so when you're the new kid, uh, you learn to read a lot, um, and, and you, you try to find your way to fit in. And, and one of those for me was athletics, and another one was academics, and, and one was reading. And, and I read all that I could read on lots of different subjects, but, but one of them was about about the early pioneers of this country and one of the practices that used to happen out on in new england in the puritan churches was was something where they, the ushers in the church now first of all when they passed the plate it was a basket on a stick so the usher would come down and and the, the, you know like stick the stick all the way down with the basket and put it right in front of you like can you imagine how intimidating that is like, here's, here's a, a basket on a stick in front of you, and the usher's kind of like, go ahead, put your money in. Go ahead, right now, put your money in. <laughs> the, the other thing they had in those churches was a, 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 a stick that was long enough, didn't have a basket on it, actually had a little knob on the end of it, and, and it was used by the ushers if someone started to fall asleep during the sermon. And they would just, some, some of them had a feather on it, some of them had a, and, and the feather was kind of like a nice thing, you know, that tickle you, you wake up, right? And I don't know if you've ever seen that. I was in a church service one time uh, here at Anderson, actually, back in the old days before they tore down the, the large tabernacle of uh, freshman uh, students currently there at Anderson University, uh, the, the huge open grassy area between University Boulevard and, and Fifth Street, where the prayer labyrinth is. There, there used to be an 8,000 seat auditorium there, and uh, it, we had a convention there every 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 June. And in in one of those convention services, there was a a favorite pastor of mine. In fact, his his son is one of my good friends. And and we laugh about this story because this this pastor, really well-known pastor in the Church of God, and he's preaching and it's a packed house. and, And he's doing one of those where, and I noticed that there was this guy about, I don't know, eight rows from us. And we were kind of about 15 rows from the front. And this guy was falling asleep and every time he'd start falling asleep, he'd do one of those. He's sitting up straight, and as he'd start to fall asleep, his head would just kind of nod like this. And as soon as his chin hit his head, he would jump up and go, amen! And and my friend's dad, who was preaching, was getting pretty excited about this, right? Because he's getting these amens all the time and the thing. But but he didn't realize. And so he just, I mean, he he'd go amen, and then the guy preached a little longer and a little louder, and and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the, my friend's dad made this rhetorical statement, you know, where you say something and the answer is actually no, you don't want anybody. It's like, this is not really true. And so he makes this statement, are we going to be the kind of church who does this? I don't even remember what it was, except it was not good. All right. It was supposed to be silence when he says that. As a communicator, you're like, you know, we don't want to be like this. And, and so what he does is he's, are we going to be this kind of church? And sure enough, that guy, his, his chin hit, and he popped up, and he went, amen! And it was like the whole place just burst out in laughter, right? <laughs> so fast forward from those college years of mine to about 13 years ago. I'm in West Africa in the Ivory Coast. It's 2008. I'm preaching the 10-year anniversary of the Church of God in Cote d'Ivoire. Our staff missionaries, Larry and Leanne Sellers, had invited me there. Some people in this church, in fact, some of you who are in this room, had prayed really hard that I would have enough courage to go to Africa. to to for a missions trip, because you have to understand, for me, raising my sons was a really important thing. I don't have any daughters for those of you I've not met. I, well, I have a daughter in law now, and she's the best daughter in the whole world. But but I had these two boys, and, and I just had this thing about I didn't really want to go overseas until they were old enough to take care of themselves and their mother if something happened to me, right? Because uh, I'd seen Tarzan movies. I know what happens to, to Westerners in Africa, you know. And and, and so uh, I, I I finally Said yes, I would go, and so my first assignment there is to preach this tenth anniversary of the Church of God. And they tell me that this service starts at seven a.m. with an hour of prayer, and then I'm to preach at like eight o'clock. I'm like, cool, that's that that that's okay. And they said, and then somebody else will preach, and somebody else will preach, and then at eleven you're going to preach again. I said the same sermon. They said, no, 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 you're going to do two sermons. And I said, how long does this thing last? They said, oh, till lunch at 1 o'clock. Church started at 7 a.m. and it went to 1 p.m. You think chapel's long, students? I'm telling you, I mean, it's like, and so, you know, we get there, and I mean, honestly, I'd never, the, the prayer was rich, the, the, the worship, with the dancing was amazing, and, and I'm like, because in Africa, you don't just pray and sing, you dance while you pray and sing, it's awesome stuff, man, and I'm watching, I'm enjoying, I preach, man, I'm going after it, and that, that's cool, and, and then somebody else preaches, and somebody else, and now, now, it's about 11, about this time, things are off schedule, so I don't get up for my 11 o'clock sermon until 11.45, in an unair conditioned room packed with people when it's 95 degrees outside in a, a you know an, a, a climate like right along the equator okay it is hot we're all sweating so i start in and i'm like 5 minutes in and i look and over here on the side there's a there's a guy okay he is he's not like bobbing he's out. I mean, he's just like, you know, slobber on the pillow asleep. Okay. He's just there. When suddenly from the back of the room, I see it. I mean, I've read about it. I've heard about it. And now I see it. Here comes an usher with a stick (laughs) and he reaches out and he pops the guy on the side of the head and the kid wakes up. You know, I'm like, wow. And the little kid was probably maybe 12 years old. Okay. And I'm like, man, they treat kids pretty tough around here. And then I keep going, and I notice on this side, there's an elderly lady. And she's and sure enough, the elderly lady, she's asleep. And what happens? Same usher, same stick, pop her on the side of the head. Little old lady's like, whoa, okay, you know. And I'm thinking, I need to take this back to the States. This is great. No, not really. But, but I, I remembered that story this week when I was reading this story from the book of Acts. Because here's, here's what I, I know about this story. See, if we're, if, we're going to, if we're going to wake up in this pandemic, the, the last 18 months, we've gone through things we've never gone through before, right? That's why everybody hates the word unprecedented, all right? And I've come to the conclusion, I told our staff uh, late, earlier this week, I, I finally figured out, somebody asked me, you got a one-word, you know, synopsis of what, what Christians are going through right now. And I'm like, yeah, exhaustion. Exhaustion. When everything changes and shifts as much as it's changed and sh- I mean, come on, those of you who are teachers, you have to get up in the morning and ask what day it is and what the new protocols are. For those of you who are students, I mean it shifts back and forth constantly, and that stuff wears us out. We get exhausted. And yet and yet we have the message. We, we have the good news. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got a world that, that we're tired and we're worn out. And, and somehow in the midst of that world, God wants us to be people who can, who can communicate his love and his grace and his mercy. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so glad you're here because what I want you to know is this is a place where you can ask questions, and, and what we're going to talk about today is, is, is a process for those of us who are, who are followers of Jesus, and it's a promise for those of you who aren't. It's a process for those of us who, who are followers of Jesus in that in this process we can grow and mature as, as followers. It's a promise for those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus because, because when you're not yet a follower of Jesus, your exhaustion is like triple those of us that are followers of Jesus. And if we're this tired, we can't even imagine how fatigued mentally and emotionally you have to be. So this story takes place in a town called Troas. It's a a seaport town, and it's a pretty famous town when you really study the book of Acts. Because see, it's at Troas that the apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, has this idea that he's going to go off into what we would now refer to as Asia Minor and share the gospel. But God God won't let him. In fact, what the scriptures tell us is that the Holy Spirit stopped him completely from doing what he wanted to do. And instead, sent him to Troas and said, wait right there. And while he's in Troas, he has a vision of a, of a person from Macedonia, which is the total opposite direction of where he wanted to go. And in this vision, the man says, would you come over here and help us? And so Paul, Paul responds to that vision by launching over into an area that had never heard about Jesus. And we've been talking about that area for a, a number of weeks now here throughout the summer. And now he's, he's planted these churches. It's been five or six years since he was in Troas. And in all of these churches that he's planted, there are people that God has changed their life, radically redirected who, who they were and how they were living. And they hear that the church back in Israel, the, the, the church in Jerusalem, is, is hurting And the church in Antioch, the one that sent Paul out on his missionary journey, they're they're in the midst of a famine and an economic downturn. And so these churches, these brand new churches in this area of Macedonia, they start taking up offerings to help. And they each choose somebody to go with Paul to take their offering back to Antioch and to Jerusalem. And so on the way back, they end up, they go back through Troas, and it's that place where he stays a week. I mean, he's, he's on his way traveling back. And this is a very significant place for his life. And he's going to spend a week. And he gets there on a Monday. And so throughout the week, he's, he's reconnecting with people. And he says, you know what? This Sunday, This Sunday, if you guys will gather as the people of God, because the church over those five or six years had grown exponentially. People had met Jesus. People had been changed. And so now they're all going to gather together. Now, they had to gather on Sunday evenings. Because they, Sunday was not a in a Greek culture in a in a in a, a Gentile culture, it wasn't a sacred day. Sabbath wasn't a sacred day, and so what they do is they they have to they have to go in the evening, and the way they would do that is they would have a meal together, and so on that Sunday, the first day of the week, which happens to be the last day that Paul's going to be in town, because he's scheduled to leave on Monday. Listen to the story from Acts chapter 20. I'm going to start reading at verse seven. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day. And he, I love the way Luke so delicately says, he prolonged his speech until midnight. Until midnight. The man starts about seven o'clock. He makes, he makes a West Africa church service seem small. Five hours. And they're eating together and breaking bread together. And, and, but so much has happened. And so many people want to see him. They, they want to see this man that introduced them all to Jesus. And so they, they packed this room. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus. Who, b- b- by the way, that, that name means... Um, Wait a minute, I want to make sure I get this right for you because it's kind of ironic. The name means good fortune, okay? Eutychus' name means good fortune. Listen to what happened to good fortune, all right? A young man named Good Fortune, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. It's midnight. It's past midnight. This man's worked a day. He's eaten a meal. He's listening to somebody talk for five hours, and there are lamps burning in the room, and the fumes from those lamps, and the heat from that lamp. And now, suddenly, he, he gets up, and he, and he moves over to a window. Now, a window wasn't like one of our windows. It was more like a slit in the wall. There was no glass on it or screen on it. And he sits in the windowsill, still trying to stay awake, still listening, because Paul's going to leave. He may never hear Paul again. He may never hear this really amazing person of God again. And so he's sitting at the window, and he sinks into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And guys, there's nobody there with a long stick. There's nobody there to pop him in the head. He's sitting there listening, and listening. Being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down and bent over him. And taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and had eaten, he conversed with them a long while all the way till daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth, Eutychus, good fortune, away alive, and they were not a little comforted. So this story is so cool for people who are, who are worn out, for, 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 for people who are exhausted, See, I love this story because it it lets us see some insight into how to follow Jesus in the 21st century, in 2021, in these last few months of 2021, as we get ready to head into 2022 and whatever it holds for the future. Because here's what this story lets us know. In a nutshell, it lets us know this. Nothing that happens to us can change how much God cares for us. If we wake up from our exhaustion, nothing that happens to us can change how much God really cares about us. And, and we learn it from watching this guy, Eutychus. Because here's the deal. All of his life, because his age, when it says a, a young man, that's usually somebody between nine and 14 years old in this culture. So you got like a middle school guy, right? High school freshman and, and so since he was a little kid, he's heard people talk about Paul, Paul of Tarsus, who, who God had spoken to on a, on a Damascus road, Paul, who Jesus had sent to their town to tell him about Jesus. And all he'd heard about was this great guy, Paul, and now he hears that Paul's coming. And, and Sunday night, Paul's talking, and, and so here he goes. He's going to be there. He, there's this experience. There's this excitement. It's a brand new experience. But then he falls asleep. See, here's what you need to know. Following Jesus is more than the excitement of a new experience. Now, I know today we've got some university freshmen here. We're so glad you've chosen to be in school at Anderson University, if that's where you're in school. If you're at Ivy Tech, we're we're proud of you for being there. If you're at Ball State, we're glad you've chosen. You've got a whole new world in front of you, all right? But I need you to know the excitement wears off. It's usually called midterms. Sometimes it's called finals. Sometimes it's called, as one of my colleagues did, your parents move and don't tell you where they move to. All right? You think I'm joking. But the fact of the matter is, the excitement wears off of a new experience. And following Jesus is more than that. It's, I was doing a wedding years ago, when, uh, and it was one of those where she wasn't quite bridezilla, but she was close, all right? And her mama, could there could have been a TV show about her mama, all right? And, and, and mama, was, mama was just, I mean, it was going to be the perfect wedding, and I had better make sure because I was their pastor, right? And, and so the day of the wedding, everything is going great everything is awesome. I mean, the vocalists were on pitch, and all the candles lit, and the ushers put people in the right place, and and it was in Chattanooga, so it was like a southern wedding, and it had to follow all these protocols, and and I remember, I mean, everything was going well. It was perfect, and we got to that, during the end of the ceremony, we got to a part where I'm just about to say, for as much as the bride and the groom have consented together in holy wedlock and have witnessed the same by joining hands and giving and receiving a ring, I do by the authority vested in me as a minister in the church of the living God and in conformity with the laws of the state of Tennessee declare that they are husband and wife. I'm just about to say that when the bride realizes where we are in the ceremony and she looks at me and goes, is that it? Like kind of loud. Is that all there is? And I'm like, no, honey, it's all starting right now. Because you're going to be married to him for a long time. Can, can I tell you, I think there's some of us who, like Eutychus or like a college freshman or like a, an excited bride, look at this concept of following Jesus. And, and we're so excited when we get started. But you've got to know. Following Jesus is more than the excitement. It, guys, it, <laughs> all right. it's more than going to the Passion Concert on New Year's Eve. It, it's more than the youth convention you went to. It, 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 it's more than your high school youth group. It's more than a church service or a chapel service or, or a Bible saying. No, no. It's the cumulative of all of those connections. It's that place where, where you understand that, that you're following Jesus regardless of the circumstances. I mean, yeah, look at it again. On the first day of the week, we're gathered together to break bread. Paul starts talking with them. He's already told them, I'm leaving in the morning. And he prolongs his speech until midnight. Guys, listen to me. Following Jesus is more than just being there for the speech. It's about being there for your whole life. Following Jesus is about more than, than coming to church or joining online during a pandemic. It's about your whole life. And, and when you do that, when you, when, you, when you get that, when you start with that experience and understand it's just the beginning, it's going to lead you into a whole lifestyle, a lifestyle that's a part of the kingdom of God. And by the way, pandemics come and go, but the kingdom of God is forever. And following Jesus, that's for eternity. And so here, here we are, like Eutychus, all excited about what's going on, but but not realizing that, you know what? Sometimes there are circumstances, circumstances of life that can cause us to fall. I mean, Eutychus didn't light the lamps. (laughs) He didn't pick the third floor. He did pick the window because he was trying to stay awake. But he didn't want to fall asleep. See, there are some things that have happened to some of us along the way and to some of you already along the way. Things that you didn't choose, things that happened to you, something that somebody did to you, and and you didn't ask for it. It it, it was just a circumstance of life. But somehow in the process, you began to put a lie in your head, a lie that talks about the fact that, well, if God really loved me, that wouldn't happen. Or if God was really a good God, that wouldn't take place. That's why we're going to spend some time this fall here at Eastside talking about who is God that's why we're inviting you to be a part, as Ariana said earlier, of some, of some small groups that are going to look at the question of who God is, be, because here's what we know. Our friend James Brian Smith, who's been here a couple of times over the, the last decade or so to talk with us as a church, it, it authored these, this, this book called The Good and Beautiful God. And in it, here's, here's what Jim says. He said, basically says this, you, you, have, you have these God narratives, these things that you believe about God. And they're not based in the scriptures. They're based in our culture. They're based out of our human perspective. And Jesus, Jesus knew God better than anybody. I mean, God is his son, or he is God's son. Let me get it right. And, and he actually says and in several different places, you know, if you want to see God, look at me. You want to know what God's like? Look at what I'm like. Jesus says that. And over and over again, he, he takes people's, what we call God narratives, God, God ideas, And says, no, look, you think God's like this, but God is really, God is really like this. Because if you don't understand who God really is, then you miss the reality that some of these circumstances that happen, the ones that pull you away, that those circumstances, those circumstances don't have to pull you away. You can have such a relationship with Jesus. You can have such a connection with him. You can learn from his word. You can discover what it means that no matter what happens to you, you can still hold on to Jesus because Jesus is holding on to you. Because he loves you that much. See, I've I've met a lot of people in my lifetime who are away from God. A lot of people who say to me, "Well, you know, I used to go to church, or I, I used to go to, to Sunday school, or I, I, I used to go to Bible study," and but you know what? It just, it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't do anything for me anymore. And and so I just really don't have much to do with church anymore. But, but can I tell you something? I very seldom met anybody who's living like that, who says. I just woke up one morning and decided, I don't want to have anything to do with God. Instead, they say things like, well, I just made this decision, and then this decision, and then this decision, and and then I guess kind of looked up one day and realized, I'm just not where I used to be. You see, the circumstances around you can make you fall away. Just like, here's Eutychus, tired from a day's work, in a room full of heat, and smoke, sitting on a third-story window, listening to somebody he respects, somebody he's trying to, trying to understand life through what this guy's teaching and hearing all the miracles that have happened in the last five or six years in Paul's life. And he's excited and he wants to, but, but the circumstances, the circumstances just pile up one, in a, one by one until he falls into such a deep sleep that he falls out of a third-story window. Look at it again. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. I love the fact that Luke says where we were gathered. He was in that room fighting sleep too. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, that that phrase, "taken up dead, you've got to remember who's writing it. This is Luke. If you don't know anything about the Bible, listen. Luke was a doctor. He was a doctor who came to know Jesus through the teaching of the Apostle Paul. He was a doctor who left his practice to go with the Apostle Paul. He He was, quite honestly, the first medical missionary. He's trained as a physician. If anybody knows when somebody's dead or not, it's a doctor. So Luke is writing this, and Luke is standing there next to Eutychus, and he's like, the boy's dead, okay? This is not like he fell and went unconscious. No, no, no. Luke, the doctor, says the boy's dead. So now we've got a dead man on the street outside a church gathering. This is not good. And so here comes the church. Now, I want to Watch this parallel. I'm stretching it a little bit, but you follow me, okay? See, right now we're living in a world where we got lots and lots of dead bodies outside of church buildings. And it's time for the church to wake up and go do what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us, what the Apostle Paul did for Eutychus. Look at the story. See, when, when we fall, God resurrects us. See, when, when, when Luke is looking at the body and saying, the boy's dead, Paul looks at the body and sees an opportunity to glorify God. I want you to hear that. Because right now, the, the, the chicken littles in the world, you know the story of chicken little, right? The sky is falling, the sky is falling, everything's horrible, right? Well, the chicken littles in the world who are saying the sky is falling are saying, you know, everything's horrible. But what? God is saying is, hey, church, if you'll wake up, if you'll step out around those dead bodies, I've got a job for you. And in fact, if you're one of the dead bodies, you need to know there's something I want to do for you. Look at what happens. Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. You got to get... The doctor just said the man's dead, Paul. You're just the preacher. You're gonna argue with the doctor, Paul? Yeah. He's gonna argue with the doctor. Pastor, they, they tell us the economy is gonna implode eventually. Pastor, they tell me I'm gonna lose my job eventually. Pastor, they tell me COVID's gonna kill us all. You're trying to tell me it's not? That's right. You're trying to tell me there's gonna be life after the pandemic? Yeah. You're trying to tell me that the church still has a mission, the church still has an opportunity, if the church will wake up and be the church to the people? Yes. That's what God's trying to tell us, because look at this passage. see that phrase up there? It says, Paul went down and bent over him. It's a great phrase. The phrase bent over is, in in this passage, it's it's a Greek phrase, right? The the New Testament's written in what's called Koine Greek. And, And there's a there's a, a translation of the old testament which was written in hebrew that is into the septuagint which for those of you if you've had a bible class or if you're going to have a bible class you're going to learn that the septuagint is the greek translation of the hebrew bible and in the old testament there's a there's a story in first kings it's in the 17th chapter it's about a prophet named elijah and Elijah, Elijah was in a place where there were dead bodies laying around everywhere. There's a famine going on, both physically and spiritually and emotionally. There was death in the land, just like now. And what, what Elijah did was he was trusting God to tell him how to live his life. He was making that connection we talked about earlier. That's not just an experience. It's a lifetime relationship. And so what Elijah does is he's listening to God, and God says, Hey, I want you to go over to this place called Zarephath. And when you get there, I, I want you, to, I want you to, to go out to the city well and wait because I've got somebody who's going to take care, who's going to feed you because there's no food left where you've been. And so he goes, and this widow comes out, a lady who's lost her husband, but she has a son. And as she comes to get water at the well, Elijah sees her and he says, hey, listen, um, I, I just wondered. Could, could you, I'm just, I'm a prophet of God. I'm, I'm, I'm here on his mission. Could you, could you make me some, some bread and give me some of that water? Because I don't even have anything to get out the water from the well. And the widow looks at him and says, sir, all I've got is just enough flour and just enough oil to make one more set of cakes. One for me and one for my son. And we're going to eat these last two cakes and then we're going to die. And so I just want to, I just, you know, I, I don't have anything. He said, listen, lady, listen, I, I promise you, God sent me here. God's got something for me to do. If, you, if you'll do this, if you just make me, when you make those two cakes, would you make a third cake? And, folks, for those of you who want to read a fun story, go to First Kings chapter 17 this week because here's what happens. She makes three cakes, and they eat. And then there's more oil. And there's more flour than she thought there was. And she's like, well, I must have made a mistake. But then the next day, she makes three cakes. And there's more oil. And there's more flour. And she's like, I didn't make that big a mistake. And then the next day, she makes the cakes. And there's more oil. And there's more flour. And as long as she keeps being obedient to God, God keeps providing, just like what I've watched Him do in my life and many of your lives over these last 18 months. But then an amazing thing happens. Her son gets sick and dies. And she gets ticked off. So she goes to Elijah the prophet and she says, Elijah, what did you come and do? Keep me alive just long enough so I could live to watch my son die? And Elijah does this crazy thing. He says, where is your son? Where's his body? And so he goes to the room where the the boy is, where his body is. And the boy's dead. And Elijah does this crazy thing. He he prays, and then it's that word. He bent over him. And in the in the actual Hebrew, what, what, what that word literally means is he like put his body over him. He, he flesh to flesh. He, he kind of put himself on top of the dead boy. And as he did that, he gave of his life into the boy, and God restored the boy. And I tell you that because here's the big theological thing. The big theological thing is that's called the incarnation. It means Jesus Christ came. When we talk about Jesus being born in Bethlehem at Christmas in a manger and that we talk about the fact that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man and that he died on a cross and was resurrected on the third day for our sins so that we could be forgiven, that's called being resurrected. And that's what Paul did. What Paul did and what Elijah did was they took of themselves and they were willing to go, even though the circumstances had separated some people from God, even though there were dead bodies lying outside the church, they went down and they, they embraced that dead body, bent over, took him up in his arms. Because here's what you've got to know. When your excitement goes away after the experience when the circumstances caused you to fall and you didn't figure you were going to fall, God is capable, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter what's happened in your life, He is capable of coming to you and resurrecting you. Hear me. No matter what you've done. Because you see, as followers of Jesus, we can live with the comfort And the confidence of a relationship with God because of Jesus. That's why I told you earlier. If if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the process. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the promise. You can have a life in spite of the death, in spite of the pain, in spite of the heartache, in spite of the circumstances, in spite of falling out the third story window you can have life and nobody needs a long stick to thump you in the head look when Paul had gone up after having resurrected the boy letting God do that through him and they'd broken bread and eaten, remember it's after midnight gives new meaning to the term midnight snack, right he conversed with them a long while all the way to daybreak, the man talked all night long, y'all thought I was bad all night long, until daybreak, and then he departed. And I love Luke has this penchant for understatement. And they took the youth away alive. Here it is, and we're not a little comforted. <laughs> Isn't that a great phrase? They're just not a little comforted. In other words, they just watched a dead man be brought back to life. They just watched God do something miraculous and they took comfort in it. And what I want you to know is that right now, regardless of what's going on, what the circumstances are in your life, regardless of the part of your life that feels like it's dead, Jesus Christ came for you to resurrect you because you can live with confidence in that relationship with Him. Say, Pastor, how do you know? Because Luke says it even further in the Next verse, verse 13 of Acts chapter 20. Listen. But going ahead to the ship, we, that's Luke and the other followers with Paul, set sail for the city of Assis, intending to take Paul aboard there. For Paul had arranged, intending himself to go by land. It's just a little statement. But see, it took longer to sail from Troas to Assis than it did to walk. And Paul, Paul had to go on this journey, but Paul wanted to make sure that Eutychus and the church in Troas were okay. And my friends, this morning, Jesus is here, and he wants to make sure that you are okay too. So in just a minute, we're going to sing We're going to sing a song about what it means to let Jesus resurrect us. And and if you're here on campus or online, wherever you are, in these moments, Jesus is speaking to you. And I want to ask you to listen to him and respond by believing that you you can have a relationship that outlasts anything you know no matter what the circumstances are.